On this week's full-time roundup, all three Prem team contenders take care of business. Real Madrid put one hand on the Primera. Syria Alassabi enters to lose an Asian Cup and AFCON crown their champions. All this and so much more. Full-time roundup starts right now. And welcome into the latest episode of the Full-Time Roundup. Matt Gesslin here alongside Daniel Brackett as always. Switching things back up. Daniel had the host seat last week. I'll take the host seat back from him this week. That may be back and forth as we play a little ping pong. But either way, we are both here to take care of you this week as that seems to be back to normal routine and viewing for those that are listening in. Daniel, a lot to get to right away. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I know that you're excited for this game. Of course, everyone will be counting how many times Taylor Swift is shown on the big screen. I don't know if you put a bet in for the over-under on that. I don't even know it's, what the odds are. It was are, five but... and a half. Five and uh, a half uh, screen time. And I was asked by a friend, what if she's on the flight still, the start of the game? It's like, does the the camera action of the flight, you know, landing and – They'll definitely have that. So they'll definitely have it because why not? Right. Let's, let's just put it out there. Taylor Swift is more important than this Super Bowl. So that's all that matters. Either way, we are not here to talk about the Super Bowl. If you can't tell, I am super thrilled about this game. Cannot wait to not watch it. Unlike Daniel, who is waiting to stuff his face with Buffalo chicken dip, but we are here to talk about football for you guys as always. And Daniel, as we normally do, Want to get right into it with the Premier League as a lot happened this week. We saw all three title contenders take care of business in different fashion against different types of opponents. Where do we start? My opinion, we start with the game that started on Saturday, which kicked us off, which was Manchester City taking on Everton. Anything that stood out to you other than a typical performance from Manchester City that ended up with the W 2-0, although I wouldn't say necessarily – Typical performance, typical result, maybe. Yeah, it. Uh, I wanted to keep making references to you know the Patriots and City just to really, really make things interesting. But I would have run out of comparisons really fast. But yeah, this was pretty, as like you like to say, ho hum performance with City. Um, they kind of left it late. Holland got a a loose ball in the box, and he was always going to score it. And then he absolutely uh, bodied Brothwaite on a, on a breakaway um, to score the second of the day. So, I mean, credit to Everton for holding them to no nil for 75 minutes ish. Um, but this was kind of always inevitable, right? It was, although I will say this was probably the worst city performance I've seen all season. You mentioned, you know, leaving it late and, and the subs clearly made a big difference. Um, kept bringing in Kevin De Bruyne and, Bernardo Silva off the bench was was a and Kyle Walker as well, which was a big, big play in the in the second half. I thought City looked really flat in the first half. It was at home as well. Like you said, a little bit of credit goes to Everton sitting back, really playing behind the ball, typical Sean Dyche type of style. I, I kind of went on my my Everton rant last week. If you haven't listened to that episode, go check that out. Daniel did ask me if if this changes anything. Uh, no, uh, to to just give you a short answer. So again reference that previous episode for the Everton feeling and and that didn't change anything but city did leave it late um and you mentioned you know early holland uh, uh, just an absolute animal men against boys just pushes Branthwaite away like a little toy and puts the ball in the back of the net for a second goal uh let's just be honest daniel he is now back he's healthy he has 21 goals and has missed eight games of the season still the goal leader in the premier league and and 
we touched on it. City just continues to get healthy at the right time. And they look ultimately, regardless of what happened with the other results, which we'll get to here in a second, they are still only two points behind Liverpool with a game in hand. It does feel, again, like we said last week, their title race to kind of own and, and lose at this point. Yeah, you, you mentioned something pretty early in the morning because this was the earliest kickoff of the weekend for the Premier League. They kind of rested some players with the kanji coming in, Stones, Nunez. And Nunez had a stinker of a game. And what does Pep do? You know, he subs a bunch of them and throws on De Bruyne, Walker, Bernardo Silva, and Grealish as the subs. That's just not fair. It's It's not fair. I mean, if you're, you know, busting your ass for 57 minutes as an Everton, you're nil-nil, and then you see those four enter the pitch periodically, I just, I don't know how you cope with that mentally and physically, especially being exhausted. And, you know, that's just enough said, basically. Yeah, I mean, you can't really do much about that, obviously. And the joke between these two teams yesterday, of course, was one gets fined and deducted for points for for player play and the other one brings those players off the bench like you said and so uh felt like a game of uh juxtaposition in this one but we will see what happens of course with all of the the ongoing investigations with manchester city although who knows uh, of course there are still ongoing everton investigations as well so uh, but you mentioned subs daniel you mentioned kind of bringing in re refresh players and, and you know reinforcements another team that did the similar type of thing in the second half was Liverpool had a, you know, pretty good starting 11 still, even though they're still missing a few players, a few players get a, you know, back on the injury list. It seems like, which is unfortunate to hear about, which I'm sure you'll cover in a second, a little bit more of an uncomfortable game though, than expected here against Burnley. Of course they get the three, one result, but it was not easy all the way through. There was definitely a period, of course, it was 2-1, and, and Fofana has two breakaways you know, on Keller who makes one save, and then he puts the other one just wide of the post. Go figure, Chelsea player missing the net. But again, a chance to kind of make this a 2-2 type of game against Burnley, and then, of course, Darwin Nunez puts that 3-1 put that 3-1 header in it and kind of makes it look and feel a little bit more comfortable in the end but this was certainly far from it. Yeah, um the flu kind of went around the squad so Gomez and um I think one or two more oh Allison was missing because of that and I think one more player that I can't remember Kanate was obviously serving his suspension from the uh, double yellow cards against Arsenal. So you had Kelleher like you mentioned um Jarrell Kwanzaa off the bench as a center back who actually played pretty well other than that one bad giveaway to Fafana on his breakaway. Um, Trent had an early exit after kind of feeling his knee, um, but he looked a little bit better today than he has in recent. He got a nice assist as well. And then Robertson um, is still coming back from injury. So, yeah, it, it took a little bit uh, for us to get going. You know, I would say – the first 15 minutes were solid and then we kind of lagged off and then they scored and then we kind of responded well, but Jurgen Klopp and his substitutions continued to work wonders. He makes a interesting tactical switch of playing Curtis Jones at right back, um, which if you told anyone that at least a year ago, they would have probably looked at you funny because Curtis Jones is not known for his defensive contributions for sure. Um, but he, he looked really good. Harvey Elliott came on and had, um, it says one assist, but he had two assists. I mean, it was a deflection off one of his passes that Diaz headed into the back of the net. 
Um, so I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with this play. I'd like for you to apologize your Darwin Nunez discourse as he scores yet another goal for us. That makes it um, 15 goals and assist in the Premier League this season, and that's just counting the Premier League. But all three strikers scored, so it was a, it was a solid day uh, for the attackers. I will not apologize. Just going to point that out there. Uh, Diego Jota, though, Daniel, to me, is one of the most underrated players that you guys have. It's pretty remarkable to see for the man of his size how many heading type of goals he scores over the years. And, and it wasn't just at Liverpool. He did similarly at Wolves as well, if you watched him there before. And, and the guy is just really a, a Swiss Army knife, right? He can come in, play wherever Klopp needs him to, right, center, left, starting bench like whatever he needs this guy comes in and he delivers and, and I, yes all three forwards scored like you mentioned but i think diego jota is probably arguably the most important player on liverpool right now um, at least until mo comes back you mentioned some of the injuries that you know as well with with Trent alexander arnold and then the flu happening but to me Jota saved the day here a little bit and, and obviously sets the tone with that early goal gets things going and then you know what where will they be without him? I don't know, uh, but it's it's such a just a, a unique and and great. Um, I wouldn't say squad player again. He's more of a he's more versatile. He's more talented than that to put that title on him. But just a great weapon to have at Jurgen Klopp's disposal. Yeah, he there's a lot of discourse about Jota and just his role in the team for the last two years or so. He's our best finisher, without a doubt, other than maybe Mo, but I would say he's arguably better of a finisher than Mo Salah. Um, he's not always easy on the eye uh, when it comes to just like throughout each phase of play, but he, he's a very intelligent player and he has insanely good instincts. And so he's able to, you know, find himself in good positions. He's very aggressive. So he wins good headers, he wins 50 50 balls. He's, he's just one of those players that you don't really understand, but week in, week out, he puts in a good shift. So, you know, I like your point that he is arguably our most important player, especially when Mo's out and over over when he was at AFCON, he stepped up in a big way. We are, One of our biggest questions was who's going to step up in the absence of Mo, and he kind of answered that question for us, as well as Diaz and Nunez as well, kind of starting to get the goals and assists back rolling. But Jota is a... A really interesting player and I'm, I'm 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 interested to see if he you know stays at liverpool long term just because of his role and doesn't get the the nod all the time but he's he's moved up the the pecking order above gakpo now so i'm sure he's satisfied with the minutes he is getting right now yeah it will be interesting to see what happens of course I'm curious to see who stays a lot a lot to transpire right in the summer with klopp leaving and you heard van uh virgin Virgil van Dyke earlier talk about how he's leaving all of his options open, you know, just because his contract expires and, and wants to see where the new manager comes in. I'm sure there's a lot of players that are doing the same thing, not to put any damper on the season that they have right now, but you do have to start looking at that situation long-term and, and it will be interesting to see if a player like him stays or if other players, if other players leave and, and gives him that opportunity to start next year going forward, he is one of those players that you would expect uh, to look for more more minutes, more impactful minutes, especially the way he's performed. Although maybe he is comfortable in whatever role he requires and is needed of him. So it will be interesting to see. I do have, I have one question for you before we go on to the third team 
of this title race here. Of course, you guys are atop the table uh, above both City and Arsenal, who, like I said, we'll get to in a second after their performance today on Sunday. Any any real – we kind of alluded to it that we both feel City are going to win the title. Um, but is there any outside confidence that, you know, maybe not so fast, Liverpool will still have the lead at the moment and 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 we can still make this thing work? Uh, there's always hope. There's always hope with Jurgen Klopp and, and the squad that we have. Um, I We are still battling on the European front as well. We're in the AFL Cup final. We're still in the FA Cup. So the goal is to win all four trophies and a nice tribute to Jurgen. Now, if we can you know, keep that up, that's the question. We need Dominic Schoberslai to come back. We need Trent not to be out for a while. We need Mo to for that hamstring to, to heal up ASAP. So it really is going to depend on injuries. I feel like for us, if we're full strength, I think we'll go toe to toe with City, no doubt. But you know, you, you texted me and you laid out a gauntlet that City has in March with like four or five games back to back to back to back that are going to be tough. And so if they win all five of those, then I think it's kind of wraps. But I do see City. I don't think City's as good as they usually are so i do see that they will drop points at some point i just cannot tell you which game they will drop points in it will be interesting of course city play chelsea next on the 17th i've made a joke to one of our group texts that you're in as well that you will all be the biggest chelsea supporters next week uh for that game so that they can drop points there uh just to kind of reiterate that point that daniel's making of that gauntlet that city have starting march 3rd they go manchester united liverpool brighton Arsenal and Villa consecutively. Those are their five games in a row between the month of March and early April. So that will be the ultimate decider of the title race, in my opinion. Of course, we have a lot of games in between there, Champions League, uh, FA Cup, a lot of other things that will transpire. But as far as the league is concerned, that will be the deciding factor. I think that March 10th date as well for Liverpool will be Kind of make or break is similar to what we saw in the in the Bundesliga and in La Liga this past weekend. Uh, those are the big games you're looking for. Another team I mentioned in there, of course, is Arsenal, uh, will, which will play Manchester City on, on September uh, March 31st, Sunday, March 31st. Uh, if they played like they played today, Daniel, though, that game could be one for the ages. Of course, if you watched it and you made it to about the first uh, 15 minutes, you may have missed the entire game. Uh, Arsenal absolutely dominated West Ham today at London Stadium. Half the stadium was empty by halftime with Arsenal up 4-0 in that one. An absolutely dominant performance. Um, or maybe on the flip side, pretty disgraceful performance from West Ham. I'm curious your thoughts. Was it more of a West Ham falter or an Arsenal just absolute demolition? A little bit of both. Um I mean, you see that Moyes sells off two of his wingers in in the winter, and then you see Ben Johnson, the right back, starting at left wing this game, and that's really all that's that's all that needs to be said about that. And Jared Bowen starting at the nine, which is not his best position; he should be at that left wing spot. Um, and they're they're kind of missing a nine right now. So, I mean, Danny Ings has hasn't scored in ages. And Antonio has a, a knee injury and Paquetta's out as well. So those are two big losses. But for Arsenal, this was a stat patter game. That's what I call it. I mean, 
one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different players with goals and assists um, in in the squad. And I mean, just to just I feel like West Ham just gave up basically, and that's that's always unacceptable. And you know, it got worse. Arteta did not let off the gas. Instead of resting his players, they kept full throttle. They didn't make substitutions in the 67th minute. If I'm Mikel and I'm up four or five, six nil, I'm putting all the youngsters on earlier just to, to rest the boys for the busy fixture list that they do have. But I'm, I'm sure this this win is going to give them a ton of confidence. And they kind of, after a, a, I would say a month-long blip of form, they kind of rebounded pretty well. With This is their fourth straight win, and this is their – uh, third win out of those four scoring more than three goals. So pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Of course, the only thing that you didn't see if you're an Arsenal fan is, is Kai Havertz get a goal, which would have been nice as well, just to kind of get his confidence going. He still plays a very unique, strange role for this team. Uh, there was times even in this game where him and Trossard were playing false nines and, and kind of interchanging. It was really an interesting dynamic to watch, uh, the way that Arteta set up his team here totally different than last week against Liverpool uh, and just kind of the interchanging and the way that they played. Of course, Martinelli was, was kind of sometimes floating into almost playing that number nine while, while uh, Havertz dropped deep. And of course he normally plays on the left-hand side. You saw him float a little bit to the right here and there too. So again, it was really difficult for West Ham to kind of mark up and, and figure out who was marking who the way they, they play. You mentioned Bowen a little bit out of position with the injuries that they have up front. And of course, not that Paqueta is going to be the deciding factor here, but he, you know, he's a big player in the midfield and, and changed the thing, could change the game up a little bit. All in all, I, I thought it was a, I don't think the score line should have been six, to be honest, but I think this was reflective of just how much better Arsenal are than West Ham. Again, six is a lot, but you could easily see, you know, this result norm on a normal day, fully healthy West Ham be three nil, you know. 3-1, something like that. Of course, they, you know, West Ham won the reverse fixture in December at Emirates. So a little bit of a you know a reason to kind of go after them at the end there. Uh, maybe our maybe Arteta was thinking about the Super Bowl and wanted to put a touchdown up as they got six uh in the afternoon. But uh it was all in all a game that Arsenal needed. Uh, a big thing to keep an eye out for too, Daniel, that may go unnoticed or may go undiscussed as we get closer to the end of the season, though is with the six goals, that goal differential is now down to one with Liverpool um, and tied with Man City. So had had Arsenal gotten that seventh, they would have actually been ahead of them in the table in, in second, City being one goal uh, with the game in hand, excuse me, ahead of them in second. So uh, just something to keep an eye on. This could be that how this could be how tight the title race is. That goal differential could be the ultimate factor potentially, which would be some story as well. But um all in all, what you expected from Arsenal and, and, and the team today. I do have a question for you. Um, would you start Trossard in your biggest games over Jesus at this point, or are you still on the Jesus and or Havertz train over Trossard? I think Trossard is a great super sub. I think in this instance, just given the experience that Gabriel Jesus has, he may not be the the biggest goal scorer that you're going to see as a, for a number nine. But I think just the positions he takes up, the way he kind of draws some defenders away from certain areas, gives a player like Saka on the right-hand side some some freedom. Boy, you saw him have a lot of space today, and, and that's something that you do not want to give Bukayo Saka space. And, and there was times where he just absolutely 
torched West Ham. Um, yeah, I, I think you're starting Gabriel Jesus again, just the experience factor. And then again, if you need that change of pace, you bring Trossard off the bench. Of course, the talent that he brings and he had a couple opportunities for some really beautiful goals. Of course, he had a, a half volley that was saved by uh, by Ariola and, and a header before that. So he gives you a different dimension. But I think you're, if you're Arteta, you're sticking to your top guns as we saw last season. And then again, you have that option off the bench, in my opinion. Speaking of super subs, Manchester United get a huge win on the road against Aston Villa. Um, Villa is struggling as of late. Uh, still five points behind. United are still five points behind them. But McTominay gets another game winner at seven goals on the season for him. I don't know how he does it. I genuinely do not understand it. But he is lethal, and he's been Ten Hogs' go-to off the bench, and I'm, I kind of love it. All you do is win, right, when he comes off the bench. And what a goal this was. Of course, a great ball by Delo across and a nice header coming you know, from the left-hand side against the grain back to where the ball came from, from McSauce, as we call him. And uh, and he puts it in the net. And, and again, like you said, those stats don't lie. He had two against, I believe it was Bournemouth earlier in the season, late in the 90th minute as well, that got them three points. Another big three points here for them, as you said, five points now behind Aston Villa. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one for the top four spot, Daniel, but this was a must win if they wanted to keep that shot at it. Uh, six points behind Spurs, who who also took care of business. We'll get to their game as well in a second against Brighton on Saturday. But yeah, this is a United team that they hard fought, completely wide open chaos type of game. Uh, there was still a lot, a lot of space between the lines for Aston Villa. You saw some of those opportunities there where they had – Ollie Watkins, you know, took a ball that he probably should have attacked rather than let come to him uh, in the box and, and maybe was a different opportunity there. He had a bad game, in my opinion, but a lot of space between the lines for Aston Villa and, and something that Manchester United is going to have to clean up if they want to, you know, in, improve. I thought the lineup was closest to Eric Ten Hag starting 11 other than Harry Maguire in for Lissandro Martinez, who's out. But other than that, you're looking at pretty much who he was going to be playing going forward. Now, Luke Shaw does get hurt at halftime and uh, Eric Lindelof comes in and plays the second half. Poor Luke Shaw just cannot stay healthy. Hope that he does turn that around at some point. Otherwise could be looking for a new left back in the summer, but this was a, a Manchester United team that's starting to gel a little bit. I think uh, Alejandro Garnacho is a, a star in the making as well as Manu in the midfield, two really young players. And, and Daniel Marcus Rashford had a, a nice game today after everything that he's gone the last four weeks. And the biggest news, if you're a Manchester United fan, is you may have found yourself a striker up top with Ramos Hoyland, who who again gets another goal, fifth goal uh, in, as, in as many games. I mean, are they gelling? That's the big question, I guess. Are it's, Manchester United gelling right now? I think so. I think and we've kind of seen proof of that the last four or five games, coming back from losses or coming back from losing the lead and, and going and tying or winning the game. seems like they're starting to believe in Ken Hogg a little bit and kind of buying into his philosophies as a manager. So it's it's good to see that Manu are not a, an absolute dumpster fire at this point. And, and last football reference here is I think that the low um, pass to McTominay is what you can classify as a Hail Mary for center midfielder um, in the end zone, I guess. 
Got to get those references in today. So we'll just, I'll just leave those there for those folks that are listening. He shook his head in disgust. That's fine. It is what it is. But yeah. It will be interesting. Of course, the big one's going to be for Manchester United in, in March when they go against, uh, you know, Manchester city, just from my perspective as a litmus test, whether or not things happen between them now and then that they move up the table again, six points to fourth is going to be a hard fought battle, although you never know with Spurs and what they're going to offer. Uh, but again, you're not looking at this from this season's perspective. If you're Manchester United, in my opinion, I think they do finish in a European spot, whether that's fifth or maybe an outside shot at fourth. But I think what you're looking for along the way is, is how they perform against a Tottenham, a City, a Liverpool, an Arsenal, and just and where they match up, right? That is kind of what you're looking for. Of course, you're looking for consistency at the bottom half of the table as well, as they have not had that over the course of the season. But now you're really looking to see where this team is going to stack up in the next 12, 18 months. We know that they're going to add pieces, but is what Eric Ten Hag's building going to be able to maintain or at least compete with the likes of a Manchester City or Liverpool? That, to me, is the biggest storyline for United going forward. Yeah, they've tied Spurs and they tied Liverpool so far. So they're passing the litmus test as of let as of late, but we'll see. You know, City kind of dismantled them uh, a few months ago, so that will be a really interesting fixture to see if they kind of park the bus or they let they open it up, kind of like they did today against Aston Villa, and kind of you know let bygones be bygones. But to kind of move on here, um, Spurs leave it late against Brighton very late very, very late. 97th minute winner from Brennan Johnson I believe this was one of the games I was looking forward to most with the Zerbi versus Ange Postacoglu kind of very um very open um risky kind of setups it, I think the game proposed fireworks the last time they played I think it was like more than five goals uh we got at least three goals in this one uh two one win are you uh, are you kind of starting to buy into the Spurs team a little bit, or do you think they just got kind of lucky with this last last second winner? No, I mean the goal was fantastic. I mean Yuming Son came off the bench in the 65th minute, I believe, if I remember correctly, and and him and Johnson at the same time, and and you just see the class and the quality that Son brings to the table. Of course, he was back earlier than expected, and and from his opinion, uh, than wanted from Asian Cup as, as South Korea get knocked out. Uh, we'll cover that here in a minute. But, um, I, I mean, the goal was warranted. Good goal. The game was great. Open, back and forth. A lot of excitement, as you would expect, from two teams that are going to play front forward. Uh, forward, front. Yeah, that was right the first time. Uh, <laughs> forward thinking football. Uh, and so, I mean, I think what Ange Postacoglu is doing this season is remarkable. I, I will just say that from a, a Chelsea uh, Spurs being our rival perspective, I'll be neutral as much as I can right now. For for Spurs to go from where they were in eighth ish last year, don't quote me if they finished eighth, it might have been seventh around there, um, to now potentially and, and arguably, I think, securing a Champions League spot. I, I don't think Aston without Lowe, Kane, without Kane, exactly. That's right. Yeah. I mean, look at the roster that they've had and the way that they're changing the style of play. And, and what Ainge has done in just a short period of time. Now, he's going to potentially add some pieces in the summer, potentially, I say, because you never know with Daniel Levy. But I think it's a it's a great job with what he's done. I do think they get fourth. I think Aston Villa just are going to run out of gas. Um, you're seeing that already. I think Manchester United's too far to, to climb a hill for them. So at some point here in the next 
three, four weeks, you're looking at Spurs that are really just going to be playing for as far as they can get um, in the title in the title race. I'm not putting them in the title race, um, but I think they're going to be fighting for you know on the heels of Arsenal or or Liverpool for that third spot, um, which is again a remarkable run for for Spurs fans. Do not be upset with what your team is doing right now if you're a Spurs fan. If you are complaining about how they're playing, you are delusional uh, and need to check yourself as far as who you are as a fan because this has been a great run so far and and just the beginning if you're a Spurs fan, in my opinion. Absolutely. And just to hit on very quickly um, the other results that happened, Newcastle are trying to close the gap to United. Um, Bruno Gamaresh made the difference in the game against Forest, Fulham, Leapfrogs, Bournemouth with their win against them. Broja came in, but Muniz gets hot as he came in and has scored three goals in his last three games, I believe, um, with a brace today. And then Sheffield earned uh, a six-pointer against Luton, which was rather shocking. Um, shout out to Wilder on that. And the kids made the difference with Cameron Archer, James McAtee, and D'Souza Costa kind of getting in on the action. And then Brentford get a much-needed victory over Wolves. They went up, and they didn't concede and lose the game. So congratulations to Thomas Frank and their men. Um, to kind of rotate over to the Bundesliga, probably the game of the weekend, you know, you know where I'm at with with how Bayern is playing. You know, I, I'm i not sure that Bayern Munich are going to be able to kind of catch up with them after this big win, 3-0 with five points between the two. Now I'd like to hear your thoughts on how disgusting Bayern were. Bayern Munich are bad. Um, I don't know how else to describe that. I think partly 60% of it is the manager's fault um, and 40% is the players, right? I think if you're looking at it from a, a, just the way that you approach this game, you saw Thomas Tuchel change the formation for Bayer Leverkusen. Again, Bayern Munich have won the Bundesliga 11 seasons in a row. They are the class of the German Bundesliga. They are the powerhouse. They are one of the best teams in the world. And Thomas Tuchel essentially admitted that he's scared of Bayer Leverkusen before the game even started by changing his formation and the way that they played. So a little bit is on him. Also, another thing that I hated is his selection, Daniel. Yes, yes. I I don't understand, A, why he signed this player that I'm about to berate and why he started him in this game. Eric Dyer was absolutely atrocious at Tottenham. So much to the point that Ange Postecoglou put him on the bench, didn't play him, then signed two center backs in his place, and then said, you know what, you want him, take him. And Thomas Tuchel thought... You know who that player should start over? A uh, Netherlands international or some other players that we have on our roster. And it looked and it looked like it. It looked like he had no confidence in the way he was playing. And and that just set the tone in the back. Leroy Sane, what are you doing? Like who get just decide. Do you want to play football or do you not want to play football? Because when he wants to play, he might be one of the most talented players on the planet. 
But yesterday was one of those games where he just looked so disinterested, had no desire to be on the field. The last play, the last goal actually epitomized everything that was about this game where he had a chance to stop the ball from going in. He was right there, just needed to put his left foot out and block it, and he just quit on the run. It wouldn't have made a difference in the result of the game, but it just would have shown you the interest and the care that a Bayern Munich normally would display. I mean, Thomas Mueller was absolutely irate after this game and and rightfully so i mean the guy has been around for 11 consecutive championships he's seen what this Bayern munich team and the cult he built the culture for this team arguably on his own back and and to see how far it's come in just a short period of time is remarkable and very surprising to me and we can joke about the harry kane curse if you want but i don't think that's relevant here i just think that this is a really really bad Bayern munich team that um, ultimately is not going to compete for this season. And it's going to be interesting to see just how bad it gets. I mean, Lazio, who have been sneakily in form of late, could do some damage in the Champions League. I wouldn't put it past them, to be honest. And, th and that starts on Tuesday as well. Don't spoil the preview, Matt. But I know, I know. Uh, but I will say, you know, you mentioned Delit, but you're missing another player who missed out today. Probably the most important Bayern player on the pitch at times, historically speaking, Kimmich. He didn't play. He didn't play. They, you know, Tuchel completely changed how they played with the five in the back. Um, Pavlovich started and Goretzka started over Kittick, which is just unacceptable, like you said. DeLitt's actually been in good form as of late. Like he's, for some reason, people are questioning his future at Bayern. He has been scoring. He's been getting clean sheets. He's been playing in every single game, and then you just drop him for Dyer in a slightly hurt Upamakano. I, I Tuchel just feels like some guy who can't get over his own ego at times, and that's why he crashes and burns at big clubs is because he he doesn't have good man management. He he sometimes tactically overthinks, and then he pisses off his own players and benches them when they should be playing. And I, I he will definitely be gone after the season, even if they somehow do beat Bayer to the chase. I, I I just think that Bav the Bavaria section as a whole is just tired of Thomas Tuchel, and I'm I'm enjoying Bayern not being great, and I don't think they're going to go far in the Champions League, and we're going to touch on that in a little bit. But I thought that was good. I'm I'm glad that you've kind of come around to this Bayern team, who had a B team, no Bonifaz, no Palacios, no um, Frimpong, like. You could keep naming the players who didn't play in this match, and it did not matter because Xabi Alonso outcoached Tuchel, and the players believed in the game plan and went and did it and drubbed Bayern 3-0. And Stanisic, the loanee from Bayern, it's probably like this was the best loan move I've ever had in my entire life. Scoring against his host club, and he might lift the trophy over them. I mean, that's best-case scenario. Yeah, and again, to just to uh, – we definitely uh, – you know, they reserve everything that they're getting right now. Bayer Leverkusen were clearly the better team. And, and um, Xavi has outcoached Thomas Tuchel and Bayern Munich all season, not just not just yesterday. You see it. Five points clear is, is clearly an, an, an indication of what has been done over the course of the entire season. Uh, just to put one more finer point, though, on what you were saying, this had nothing to do with players on the pitch the talent wise or the positioning of the players or this had everything to do with mentality and willing and wanting to play. I, I, 
I heard all the comments about Bowie on the Bowie on the left hand side and how he was out of class and he was he was a new player getting up to speed. No, that first goal, six Bayern Munich players are walking around, and he doesn't. Yes, Bowie doesn't look behind him and see the guy Stanisic coming in and getting the tap in. But that is just an epitome of everything that happened yesterday. Again, same thing with Sané, just standing around, not really being movement. You didn't see Musiala have his normal pace and, and kind of movement within the game. They couldn't get him the ball. So ultimately, it came down to just a lack of wanting it and, and a will for it. And, and you saw how much Bayer Leverkusen wanted this game, and they got it from the jump. And after the game, Daniel, were some of the best scenes that I've seen watching the way that Xavi and, and – uh, and the fan and the players interacted with the fans and boy, that stadium, that city, they love this club. They love these players. And ultimately, yes, I, I think I'm almost to the point almost cause there's a lot to play still. Um, but I'm almost to the point where I think this is the year that Bayer Leverkusen will knock off the title defenders. Uh, now it probably will be short lived. Let's just grant that for what it's worth. It'll probably be one season, but Bayer Leverkusen are probably probably going to win the Bundesliga this season. In that act of Xavi Alonso bringing the technical staff to celebrate that win, that's all that you want in a manager, especially for being so young as he is. Just like the vibe and maturity as a manager already is just incredible. Liverpool, go get that man. He kind of resembles Jurgen Klopp in the way he presents himself. I love it. Um, but to kind of go over to the other Bundesliga games, that did happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, there were other games. In there were league, other games. games. Yeah. We could talk about this game, though, all day long. Um, Dortmund went big against Freiburg. Malen and Fulkrug were just too much to handle. They were both on it. I think it was Fulkrug's birthday as well, and he capsulates with a goal and two assists, I believe, and then Malen was just unplayable. Who he, You never know what you're going to get from Dortmund. You never know what you're going to get from Malen, and both the team and him clicked, and – what should have been a close game ended up being kind of a blowout with a three no win. Yeah. And we touched on it before, just the inconsistency of Dortmund and they're starting to find a little bit of that, that form factor. Now, of course, another game that had some really big implications today was Stuttgart beating Mainz three to one. Uh, and Daniel, now we're looking at a really a situation where Stuttgart could potentially keep that momentum going. We thought they would fall a little bit. Now Garassi will be back in a couple of games after, you know, uh, AFCON and just getting back up to speed and fitness after a, a long stint there. Of course, Leipzig draw to Augsburg, which was a big surprise. The Marco Rosa 2024 troubles continue. Um, and now they sit three points back of Dortmund in fourth, six points back of Stuttgart in third. I mean, this is basically down to Stuttgart and Dortmund, right? For third and fourth, whether it's third and fourth or fourth and third, however you want to kind of look at it. But do you really think that Marco Rosa's team could get the momentum? Let's not count Freiburg out or Frankfurt out, although they, they did drop points today uh, to, to Bochum, who kind of you need to win those types of games, especially when you're trying to play catch up. Uh, they sit five points behind Leipzig. So that's a little bit of a, a reach to get into that fourth position for Frankfurt. But again, are, are we down to two? Two for two, or are we still at three for two uh, at between third and fifth in, in the Bundesliga? I mean, the the change in how we are talking about Stuttgart is one that I would not have guessed, especially with Gurasi being injured. But I don't know if anyone's talking about this, but Dennis Undov, since Gurasi, 
uh, got injured and then went to AFCON. 14 goals and four assists in 18 games. He's on loan from Brighton, which is scary to have him play for Brighton most likely next year or earn a big move. But, I mean, this guy is on fire. He's 27, a little bit of a late bloomer, if you will. But he is the fulcrum of the Stugart team right now. And if the manager, um, Honus, Sebastian Honus, can figure out how to play Garasi and Undov together, I think there's not a doubt in the world that they can get the third or fourth place with, with Dortmund finishing on either or. Um, Marco Rose's men went up, or they went down, and then they went up to one, and then they went down again, and then Openda unfortunately missed the penalty in the 80th minute to kind of get the three points to make this race a little interesting, but I just think they're going to run out of gas here. Um, so I'm going to go those five teams, but I think Leipzig are going to be the odd man out of the Champions League spot. I do agree with you. And Appenda missed an absolute horrible penalty at the end there. That was just really, really poor. But I, yeah, I didn't I get to see agree. it. How was it? Like down the it middle? Was, or just... It was just poorly taken. No confidence. Keeper with the, the trailing leg just kind of knocks it right back out. But I agree with you. Uh, I, I, I'm surprised myself. I would not have thought Stuttgart would be in this position. I talked about it, I believe, last episode, if not the episode before. Just kind of ultimately you want a team like Leipzig with the skill that they have. And, and of course we'll see what they do here this week coming up against Real Madrid as well. I know I'm, I'm previewing a little bit what we'll have later on again, but uh, you would love to see a team like that get into the champions league, but I don't think they're doing it this year, Daniel. And I think Marco Rosa's time there similar to, to Thomas Tuchel at the top half of the table it is limited and, and numbered. Uh, of course, you know, again, we've touched on it before. There's a lot of, of other races going on here in Bundesliga, in Premier League, in Syria, uh, La Liga, et cetera. We'll, we'll touch on later in the season. But uh, one of the ones that we want to just kind of bring up to attention is Union Berlin does feel pretty safe now uh, from the bottom after what was a horrible start. Five points clear of Cologne uh, in 15th place. Of course, 16 goes into a playoff in the Bundesliga. But uh, they, they look like they've kind of ridden the ship and they're out of out of trouble. Um, you can't say the same for a team like Cologne or Mainz, who do sit the, in the in the relegation battle and Dormstadt at the bottom, uh, kind of expected. But yeah, ultimately, uh, I think we're looking at the top four in the Bundesliga in no particular order, but uh, probably that way. Now, we are kind of finding the similar type of fashion in. Syria in La Liga, excuse me, Daniel. Uh, there are a couple of different races though for fourth place primarily, which we'll get to once we touch on the big one here, which of course was one versus two, similar to Bundesliga with Bayer Leverkusen and Bayern Munich, and almost a similar result. One team just absolutely looked like the team and and class of the league. The other probably looked like they should be or where they normally are um, this time of year in the league. Of course, Real Madrid is the team that absolutely thrashed Girona, a 4-0 result here for Real Madrid, and kind of puts one hand on the title, if, if you're asking me, Daniel. Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. They've now beaten Girona 5-0 and 4-0, so that hurts. Um, but, I mean, it was the Jude Bellingham and Vinny's, Vinicius Jr. show. I don't think these two players are going anywhere for the foreseeable future. I think they would be very stupid if they did. Um, Jude, definitely not. Dude, I, Jude I, not I think both of them, I think both of them, there's no way 
Vinicius with a, a goal and two assists, Bellingham with two goals. He literally looked like he ruptured his ankle and then scored a tap in. Like, I, I don't understand it. But we'll see. It'll be really interesting to see the context of that and if it's just like a rolled ankle or if he's going to be out for some time. I haven't seen any news about that injury. Um, but yeah. And just to cap it off, Jose Lu missed the penalty in the 91st minute as well to make it 5 0. So, um, Carlo got it right. I was hoping Girona would put up more of a fight. At least get a goal. Uh, Jan Kuto, who's been one of the best prospects of this Girona, 21-year-old Brazilian. Um, I think he's on loan. Is no, Yeah, he is on loan right now. Um, from Manchester City, got absolutely torched by Vinicius all game long. Felt bad for him, but you know that's kind of like that are you an attacking right back or do you have the defensive quality? And it, it showed today against the best of the best. Um, so a little disappointed, but I think this was always inevitable. Yeah, it was inevitable. I had 4-0 actually as my prediction on Thursday. So this was right up on, on my number. Of course, uh, you mentioned the injury. Jude Bellingham will be out for three weeks with that high ankle sprain. So how that impacts them, we will see. But yes, I mean, this clearly, as we touched on it, the talent rose to the top here. And boy, when Vinny plays the way he did today or yesterday, there's not many that beat him. Carlo Ancelotti said the same thing. He's one of the best in the world, if not the best, when he is on and he was on today. Uh, he also came back and defended, you know, set up the fourth goal with his defensive play too. So just something to keep an eye out for as they do have to add a few new pieces supposedly to the mix next year, how all that will play out. This is a one Horse race in my opinion although don't count out Barcelona although we'll touch on it right now that they just wrapped up as we were recording this and they dropped points to second to bottom Granada in a 3-3 thrilling game Daniel which saw Lamina Mal shine yet again two goals for the youngster that's three goals now in the season the youngest player in La Liga history to score multiple goals in a season but again drop points by Barcelona uh, against a, a bottom half team not only bottom half, arguably the one of the worst teams in the league, and now they are 10 points behind Real Madrid. They had a chance to close the gap on Girona as well, just down to three, and they do lose that opportunity. Keep in mind, finishing second is a huge deal in this race because that gets them into Supercopa and about a $5 million bonus for, for that, which, of course, we, everyone knows their financial situation and how important that is for them. So, yeah, I think if you're Girona, you're, you had a bad week. But if Barcelona had won this game and they were right behind you, I think it would have been that much worse. Um, I do think Girona slip a little bit further. I don't think they finished second, in my opinion. They just, like I said, the story has been great, but they're arguably probably more of a mid-table type team on, on a good year, right? That's kind of where they historically have been. Uh, and so I think you'll start to see them slip a little bit further as we go. But it doesn't set up well for a team like Barcelona who draws against Granada. Of course, another team that drew. Uh, today, or actually lost, excuse me, Atletico Madrid to Sevilla, a big, big win for Sevilla. Not only did they win that game, but it looks like Alvaro Morata has a bad leg injury, came off the bench, went directly into the locker room for tests. No, no results yet, but keep an eye out for that. And then, so we're looking at right in that little window right now, you're looking at Atletico at 48 points, Barcelona at 51, and right behind them, Daniel, are our two teams that we picked for fourth place, Athletic Club and Betis, who both had big results this week and closed the window and closed the gap there. Uh, I don't really know who's finishing in the top four for La Liga this year. All I know is 
Real Madrid handing the trophy now. The rest is kind of up for debate. Yeah, the only one hope for for um, Girona getting second is that it seems that nobody else wants to be second. I mean, this was big, big games for Barcelona. You know, against Granada, they probably looked past it. Two extra FC players on this Granada side, tying with Barcelona, so that kind of hurts. But Atletico, you know, two losses this week, a bad week. I thought they were going to bounce back against Sevilla. Sevilla is probably the best win of the season. They've only won three times now at home. And, you know, Athletic Club do play tomorrow against Almeria away, so this would be a huge result. If they can, if they can uh, win, and they leapfrog Atletico Madrid to be that fourth spot. So I'm, I'm praying for that. But it's a very interesting top four, top six race, just because, you know, when one team slips up, it seems like the other teams cannot capitalize. And this is just a, a really weird season when it comes to that. Usually, teams gain and lose momentum, but it seems like they all do it at the same time. Um, on the other end, Betis. Do jump Real Sociedad for six. Johnny Cardoso, the American, 22 years old, moved to Betis in January and has started, I think, almost every single game. He has been fantastic. And I just want to ask you real quick, do you value Cardoso now? Is he the future defensive midfielder in this World Cup in Copa America over Tyler Adams? It's interesting. You texted me this question over the weekend and I had a response that kind of maybe you didn't think was that valid, but it is in my opinion. Um, I granted the age is only two years apart, but that's a big gap in, in the world of football, as you know, um, just the way you, you look at player development. Um, I think obviously you want your younger generations to improve from the previous generation. And so that to me is why it's important that he is better than Tyler Adams as will the next player that's at 18 or that's at 20 be better than him coming up that we don't know quite yet. The other thing that's concerning for me, of course, with Tyler Adams is just how healthy he'll ever be. He continues to be injured. And so that's the one that's the one underlying issue that you don't really have a, a real handle of quite yet. Of course, he's he should be back in March, I believe, from this latest surgery on the hamstring. But again, you hope he stays healthy. Um, but again, looking at 20. 2026, you know, Johnny's going to be 24. Um, Tyler Adams is going to be 26, kind of, you know, and both are being their primes, but one's two years younger, who's also coming up behind them. Is there an 18 year old that we don't know about yet, or 16 year old like Lamine Yamal? Like, I, this is a good problem to have. Well, let me just put it that way. The, this is what the, the, big clubs and the big nations of the world have at their disposal is just young talent behind young talent that pushes that further generation forward. So this is a good conversation to have. Now we'll just have to see where they go. Um, I do want to see Johnny Cadosa go somewhere better than Betis at some point in the near future, but this is a good start for the 22 year old. To put on a bow on this, Tyler Adams did not get PT at Leipzig, went to Leeds, gets relegated, and then where did he move? He moved to Bournemouth, which he hasn't featured yet. Bournemouth are a mid-table mid side at best in the Premier League, while you know Johnny Cardoso played at International, won trophies, makes his move over to a top seven La Liga team, and then immediately starts and makes a big difference. That was kind of the basis, I guess, of my argument, but you can go big way at the end of the day. Availability will always trump 
that and Johnny has shown that he can be, you know, actually playing games. But it'll be really interesting to see how Greg Berhalter, um, you know, manages this as he does tend to play favorites. To kind of go over to Serie A, Inter, you know, like you say, put one hand on the trophy with a big win against Roma. It was a somewhat controversial game. Roma actually was leading twice, I believe, in this game. But Inter, you know, proved to be too much with a 4-2 win here. Title seems to be done and dusted, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I think it is too. I mean, don't count Inter to not do something silly. They've they've definitely collapsed in the past, but seven points now over Juventus, who play tomorrow, uh, seems pretty pretty far advanced, and they're clearly the best team in Italy. Uh, we've seen that week in week out. They already have a trophy under their belt. They're you know one of the better teams in the Champions League. Now, don't look now, Daniel, but Pioli's got his team figured out, and and AC Milan are only one point behind Juventus. Uh, for second place. So that's going to be a battle to keep an eye out for. And then as we've touched on in Syria uh, all year long, the battle for fourth is really just quite remarkable. I mean, we I feel like every week we're adding a team to this battle uh, for fourth. Right now, in my opinion, you're looking at Atalanta in fourth, down to Napoli in ninth, although that was a big, big result today for, for Napoli not to get points. I think kind of maybe gets them a little bit too far away, seven points clear, but they clearly have the talent to make that up if they need to. Probably the most talented team but of those uh, five teams that we just touched on. So it, it's going to be interesting. Of course, Fiorentina uh, get a result. Roma lose to, to Inter, like you said. Lazio get a big result. Uh, and, and Bologna as well as Atalanta. So similarly to, to La Liga, although a little bit more um, – consistent those those four keep usually keeping pace with each other so they're they're really kind of bat you know flip-flopping or, or, or dropping a point here gaining two points there type of thing so it's not really such a spread uh, but it's a fun race and, and arguably for a league that is not the most enjoyable to watch not the most accessible to watch on paramount if you don't have paramount um, that battle between fourth is really fun you know just to keep an eye on from a distance absolutely and just a few housekeeping um things chiro mobile joins the 200 goal club um so congratulations to chiro mobile um he is in very good company there and the new ventus do play um tomorrow against udinese so we'll see if they can kind of keep up keep pace with enter like we've been talking about all season or they slip up and milan get a really good chance to kind of make ground up on them this week um just real quickly to go to rest of world PSG win big against um, Mbappe. Um, Lyon actually are back. We've been very critical of Lyon, but they have four wins out of five now. And the new signings, which they signed like five to seven players, are making a big, big difference. Monaco are able to topple Nice in a five-goal thriller to make that third and second place fairly close. And then PSV win big while Ajax is dealt a loss in the Eredivisie. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, we're going to hit on Asian Cup Final, AFCON Cup Final, UCL predictions, Europa predictions, and XI of the week. Please always follow our Twitter at Full Time Roundup. Give us a like or five-star rating. Download, subscribe, share with friends, and we'll see you on the other side of the break. And welcome back. 
as Daniel mentioned before the break, still a lot to cover, Daniel. We got through a lot, but there has been a lot to get to still. We'll we'll wrap this up pretty quickly, though. But we do have some of our favorite segments here. And, of course, there are some midweek European fixtures that we want to get some quick rapid fire on. But the first ones we want to cover, we have some champions that were crowned this weekend, Daniel. We have the Asian Cup champion and the AFCON champion. Uh, first, we'll start off in the Asian Cup, which was a pretty wild way to finish this tournament off uh of course the hosts qatar were playing in the final against jordan uh a slew of penalties really that that define this game and and some magic uh and, and to kind of cap it all off yeah four penalties i believe i counted three of them for qatar he had a hat trick i think his name was ali and then he performs a magic trick as a celebration takes the cards out of his sock and do it right in front of the camera. I have never seen that before in my 23 years of living. I don't know about you, Matt. Nope, nope. Me neither. No, it was pretty interesting to put a magic card in your in your shin guard, but credit to him for it. You know, got I've, got his got the attention. I've seen Batman masks put on, Spider-Man masks put on, but I've never seen a magic trick. So it's gonna be interesting to see the evolution of the sellies. Um but good for Qatar, you know, host country wins. And then we have another host country winning as Ivory Coast knocks out Nigeria to win. Sebastian Allaire with the winner. He kind of touched on that story uh, last week in regards of them, him scoring the game-winning goal to make them to go to the final. He scores now the, the goal-winning final. You know, coming back from cancer, you know, not only surviving cancer, but getting back into footballing shape so fast and then making a big difference on the pitch. So awesome. What a great story, and I'm very happy for him and Ivory Coast. Yeah, I had Nigeria in this one, so a little disappointed for myself, but hats off to Ivory Coast. And uh, you'd love to see you know, the host nation lift the trophy. It just it makes it so much more enjoyable with the fans there, and, and uh, they get to go celebrate right away. And especially everything that this this nation went through in this tournament, finishing third in the groups, one of the third best teams to get to the knockout stage. It looked like they were out, sacked their manager, uh, and then, of course, Hilaire to, to get the winner in both the semifinal and the final with everything that he personally has gone through is just a great story and a great way to cap off an, an AFCON that um, is always, always full of storylines, similar to Asian Cup, uh, and we'll keep an eye out for, for the next edition um, and, and when that comes around every two years, I believe that tournament is. So uh, it's a it's one of those ones that it, it makes a big impact on on the domestic leagues just because of the timing of it. But again, when you have stories like this, uh, it makes it so much worth it to cover. But um, other quick, than that, question yeah. for you. First, it's just every four because the World Cup. So every two years might after be, the World yeah, Cup, might be four, I believe. Might be four. Um, it's like the Euros, I believe. So it's kind of that format. And then do you think the Ivory Coast – coach who got sacked gets a medal probably right oh yeah he probably does because yeah i would imagine so so he didn't do much and he gets uh he gets a participation award for a little it, asterisk know? there but yeah. still a trophy for the cabinet um uh but now we have some ucl predictions just picked you know all four games here um just we'll do rapid fire copenhagen versus city how do you think this match is gonna turn out Oof, city big as much as I think Copenhagen are the one team that no one really wants to play, um, just given what they did in the group stage and how how difficult that place can be to go play at, um, didn't want to draw City. City, you're on a mission. City easily, and I think this one's I think this one's even wrapped up uh, aggregate wise in this matchup alone. So I think that's how big City win. 
Yeah, I'm gonna say four four one. I think Copenhagen will yeah, get a goal. Yeah, I would love for them. Game. I'd love for them to give them give it a fight though. Uh, Leipzig Madrid without Bellingham. This is a nice little asterisk here that we did not think about until just now. No Bellingham. No, no Bellingham. No Rudiger. Looks like as well. Really makes you fly in the back. But Leipzig have been abysmal of late, and if you get them on a free kick, it's almost guaranteed a goal. Um, and there's just too much talent at Madrid. I don't think it's a big, big win. I think Madrid, uh, as they normally do uh, early in the knockout stages, they just find ways to advance. So 1-1 uh, because it's in Germany. Um, the first leg is, is away, but I think they will advance on the aggregate. But yeah, 1-1, maybe maybe a, a KG 1-2 win, but it's closer here than I think than it needs to be is my, my point. Yeah, I'm going to go 2-1 Madrid, but just, just barely. I think Leipzig are going to show up for this match in a big way. Um, Lazio versus Bayern, probably the most interesting game given the recent form. I'm going to be uh, – you know what? I'm surprised here. Lazio are going to win this game, and I, I think they're going to win 2-0, and I think it's going to be a real battle for Bayern to get out of this round of the knockout. Uh, give me give me Lazio 2-0. Lazio have been in some form. Uh, Bayern Munich, as I said, are bad. Uh, you, I would have expected them to come out better, especially the way that they've been playing the last couple of games. This wasn't the only game that they performed poorly against Bayer Leverkusen. This has been leading up to it. And so had this been a closer matchup, I would have said bounce back game or a get right game, however you define it, Daniel. But I just don't think they have it in them. I, I think it's another game that they drop, they drop here to nil Lazio. I'm going to go one, one, but I, I do agree with your, your logic on that. And PSG versus Real Sociedad. Mbappe was rested this weekend, so is he going to be ready to roll? He will be. That is a big thing that he was able to get a rest, and they still won that game. Uh, they won big, too. 2-0 uh, here. Real Sociedad are good. Uh, Kubo will be probably back, although it would be very close if he's going to get the start or if comes off the bench. But uh, I say 2-0 PSG, just a little bit too much talent for Real Sociedad, who we've we've said are very, very good side. I'm going to go 2-1. I just think PSG are still suspect defensively. So I think yeah, Real Sociedad, they will give up a chance. Definitely. Yeah, they'll, they'll grab a goal here, but I think PSG should have enough firepower to get the win. Um, to switch over to Europa slash Europa Conference League, predictions Milan versus Ren. This is actually a pretty intriguing game in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, Ren now up to 7th in league, uh but uh Milan are too much for them here and they've been playing a little bit better. Uh give me Milan 3 to 1. 3 to 1. I'm going to go I'm going to go 2 to 1 Milan. I think both teams score in this match for sure. Feyenoord versus Roma. Good matchup. Really good matchup, actually. Feyenoord, obviously, second place in Eredivisie. Roma, currently, I believe, sixth, as I just had it up. I should have kept an eye on that. I think that's uh, right. But, uh, yeah, I do think Feyenoord, although we've seen, you know, um, PSV Eindhoven did not perform well in the group stages of the Champions League. I think there's a little bit of a class matchup between uh, the top five and then Eredivisie. But I think, I think Roma... Well, you know what? Now I'm talking myself into it. Give me Roma two to one. Two to one? Two to one Roma. Feyenoord is a, a tough opponent and even tougher to play at their home base. The the Feyenoord fans are going to be raucous for this matchup. So I'm going to go two two. Two two. But I think Roma will have chances to put this one away. And then the last one, Shakhtar 
Donetsk versus Marseille. A little, a little interesting one. Yeah, really interesting one. Um, Marseille not not in great form in the league. Um, Shakhtar, really nice, always a nice surprise in these tournaments, whether that's Champions League or, or Europa League. Um, Marseille have been struggling as well. They have, they have. One nil Shakhtar. I'm gonna go one one Shakhtar Marseille. A lot of draws on this on this card for me. Um, but hope you guys like the UCL Europa predictions on a Sunday show. We try to mix it up for these knockouts since they are happening during the week. But we will definitely recap them on our Thursday show. Um, real quick, thanks for hanging in there with us. XI of the week, you know, the best players stats-wise or just performance-wise that stood out to me and Matt. Feel free if you disagree or you thought we missed out the the chirp us on Twitter. You can always chirp Matt at Life of M. Gesslin if you need. Um, I'll start with a goalkeeper in defenders. Onana, never thought I'd say that. Had an 8.9 rating, eight saves, faced 2.5 XG, but only conceded one. Good for Onana to get back on track. Sanisic with one goal against his home club. Bastoni, one goal in Grimaldo, one goal against Bayern as well. Can you lead us off for the midfielder and the attackers? Absolutely. So, uh, Midfield, of course, today, Declan Rice, just class against his former side. He has a goal and two assists, a beautiful goal from outside the box on the absolute strike. Uh, Dennis Sicaria, uh, surprisingly, from Monaco, two goals here. Uh, good to see him back. He was, of course, a Chelsea loanee at one point, and good to see him playing well again, the Swiss international. Uh, Bruno Gamarish for Newcastle with two goals as well. And then one thing that we've touched on before with these XI of the week is sometimes it's not about the players with the stats. And this is one of those players. If you watch this game, didn't really, didn't really show up on the stat sheet, but the way that he absolutely dominated the midfield in this Bayer Leverkusen game, of course, we're talking about Florian Wirtz, who is becoming one of the stars of the game of football worldwide. Uh, the way that he drew defenders in and, and opened space up and, and found, uh, you know, Grimaldi and, and, and worked with um, Grant Shaka and, and found Tella on the side. And, and just he bossed the game. And again, one of those players that didn't show up on the stat sheet, but when you watched him, and, and honestly, I could have put everyone on Real Madrid's midfield here as well, the way that they played Tony Cruz, uh, Chuamani. Uh, they, they, just one of those games where they just bossed the midfield and they they don't show up, but um, they, they deserve some, some flowers as well, as Daniel says. Forwards. Uh, Daniel touched on him earlier. Undav, uh, two, one goal, a big one for for Stuttgart today. Uh, Erling Holland, two goals. Uh, guy just comes back and Thor just puts the ball in the net. Uh, and then our last striker is Bukayo Saka again for Arsenal, two goals today. The second one, a, a pure uh, class goal, just cuts inside on that left foot, puts in the bottom of the net. Uh, last touch of the game, he comes off after that. So those are our. XI of the week. Again, you can interact with us. Let us know on X at Full Time Roundup. If we missed anybody, you can yell at Daniel for his selection on Liverpool CLTFC. Uh, don't bother chatting at me. I will not respond at Life of M. Gesslin, but feel free to try if you'd like. Uh, and then, of course, Daniel, just to wrap up this segment, we do our Player of the Week and Young Players of the Week. Um, I'm going to let you go first with Player of the Week. I think, uh, not surprisingly, we have someone from the same team as they were probably the best team of the weekend. Absolutely. Definitely don't tweet about the Matt about the Chelsea or Rangers. Don't definitely don't do that. 
Um, Jude Bellingham with two goals for me um, for my player of the week. Kelsey play on Monday, by the way. We didn't mention that before. Crystal Palace, uh, big game tomorrow. We'll see if we can move up to seventh place. I digress. Uh, <laughs> Vinny Jr., uh, for me, player of the week. Uh, absolutely dominated this game. One goal, two assists. Uh, and like I said, contributed to the fourth goal and was just all over the field and, and just showed why he is one of the top talents in the game. So it wasn't even the question for me. Now, my young player of the week, um, Lamine Yamal, on the other side of the rivalry, two goals for the youngster in Barcelona's draw. Of course, still only 16 years of age. Quite remarkable to think about when you you know put it in context that he's 16 years old playing and starting for a club of Barcelona's size, regardless of their issues and their problems. Uh, and then not only top of that, he gets two goals. So um, he's been on my my list pretty regularly. But when you play like this kid's playing, whew, Adam Lillis week in, week out. Pencil him in. The dude still has braces. It's wild. Um, Rasmus Hoyland's mine with an important goal for United. He's been on a tear as of late. And uh, it's good to see such a young player filling that big number nine shirt for, for Manchester United. So Rasmus Hoyland, you deserve Young Player of the Week for me. Thank you all for those who listened today. I know it was a longer one just because we had so much to talk about, so many storylines from this weekend. Um, you know, and I'm I'm looking forward to the UCL knockouts and Europa League knockouts, and uh, can't wait to talk them with talk about them with you, Matt, on Thursday. Oh, real quick, just because it's Sunday uh, and a big day. Uh, give me your prediction for the Super Bowl, Daniel, uh, since I, we, I've only heard about it all afternoon. So let me hear who you got. Uh, there's one thing in life you don't do, and you don't bet against Tom Brady, and you don't bet against Patrick Mahomes. So I'm well, that's two things. Cheese! Enjoy the Super Bowl if you're watching it, folks. We will see you in the next episode of Full-Time Roundup on Thursday. Have a great week.